You're listening to a live recorded teaching from the Sunday Gathering at the Heights Church in Denver, Colorado. We hope that this teaching is an encouragement to you. To find out more about the Heights Church, visit theheightsdenver.com. draws us out to draw us in. And we've, we've talked over and over and over again about how the story of Exodus is our story. The story of Exodus is your story. This is God's desire for every life of every person that lives on the planet. That God, in love, meets us in places of darkness and despair and withering. This is what God loves to do. You might be entering into this place and you're like, that's what I feel like today. It's like I'm putting on a front, but I feel like I am withering. God loves to meet people in that place and draw us out by his power through sacrifice so that he can draw us into the flourishing life, life with him. Now, I just want to stop right there before we get into the details of Exodus 40 and say, if you're with us this morning and you entered in this place and you're like, I don't even know if God exists, I'm wrestling all kinds of stuff, I feel like I'm withering, you need to know that this is God's desire for your life, that he wants to meet you in the midst of whatever darkness, despair, suffering, withering you're experiencing in life right now, and he wants to draw you out so that he can draw you into life with him. This is what he wants. So today, as we close out uh, this series, we get kind of three of the biggest themes from the book of Exodus shoved into the final 22 verses of chapter 40, kind of tying up a neat bow on this book as we finish it out. And here's how I want to bring them to you. Three things to prioritize in life if you want to flourish and not wither. Priority number one, obedience. Priority number one, obedience. Throughout our journey with the people out of Egypt and on the way to the promised land, one of the biggest themes has been the people moving from deformation to formation. Here's what I mean by that. When God meets the people as they're in bondage in Egypt, he finds his people are suffering because they have been deformed by the ideologies and life patterns of Egypt. They are quite literally withering away in Egypt. And as he invites them out, he's reteaching them how to live life in this world that he has created so that they can flourish instead of wither. This is, if, you're, if, you're, you know, if you think about the Bible and you think about like all the laws and all the Ten Commandments, the reality is this is what all the laws are about. This is what the Ten Commandments are about. This is what all the festivals in the Old Testament are about. It's God reteaching, reforming his people in the ways of life. This is what he wants to do for you. He wants to do, invite you and me out of being deformed by the ideologies and life patterns of this world. And he wants to reform us in the ideologies and life patterns of heaven so that we can thrive. And there's something there I want to highlight really quickly on a, just bringing this into life in 2022. You see this, you know, when most people, it's kind of like a, a, a reform, a rephrase of the way we think, uh, a reframing of the way we think of all of the laws of God in the Bible. It's like when most people think about the laws of God, they think that God is like a killjoy. It's like that, that God and all of these rules and all of these commandments and all of these laws that God is out to suck all of the fun out of life. You guys feel that? It's like, man, what a, what a lame thing. But what you see is that it's actually completely different than that. What God is doing is he's, he's not being a killjoy. He's actually for your joy. 
And he's inviting you to be formed in the ways of heaven so, you, so that you, can, you and I can thrive in this world that he has created. He wants to teach us how life in his world that he created works. And we've seen this consistent reality. It's a very simple reality. It's not hard to understand. When the people of God in Exodus obey God, they flourish. And when they disobey God, they wither. Not hard to understand. Now, Moses, we've talked about God's the main character of the book of Exodus, but Moses is kind of like the sub-main character. And Moses is consistently on both sides of this thing. Like sometimes Moses in the book of Exodus, he's like, he's falling all over himself, failing. It's like he gets out there and God's like, you know, I'm going to provide for you. And he's like getting frustrated with people. He's striking the rock. Sometimes Moses is a big failure and his failure is pointing us to the non-failure of Jesus. We've talked a lot about that. But other times Moses is held up as an example to follow. This is Hebrews chapter 11, right? That Moses, he's a man of faith. And right, right here, as we enter into Exodus chapter 40, we get Moses giving us an example of obedience. We get Moses as a man who's heard God, who's trusting God, and is obeying God. Check this out in Exodus 40, verses 16 through 33. Moses and the people, a little context for you, are putting the finishing touches on the tabernacle, this mobile garden of Eden. We've been talking about that for the past few weeks. And the thing that is highlighted in Exodus chapter 40, as they're finishing out the tabernacle, is their obedience. It's their obedience. You see this phrase repeated over and over and over again, just as the Lord had commanded, commanded them. Uh, check this out. This is starting in verse 16. It says this. Moses did everything just as the Lord had commanded him. Now, that line right there, just as the Lord had commanded him, is repeated seven more times in this tiny little section of Exodus chapter 40. Now, let me give you a little, uh, a little Bible reading hint for how to read your Bible. You know, we've been, as a church family, we've been walking through what we've been calling the year of the Bible, and we've been inviting everybody to build a habit of daily Bible reading because it's one of the main ways that God changes us and forms us. And here's a little Bible reading tip. You know, when Moses was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write the write down this history of Exodus, one of the things that he didn't have was like a, a Word doc and a Google doc. You know, he wasn't writing this in his Apple Pages thing where he could bold things and underline things and italicize things in order to emphasize things like we do. But what he would do is he would write this, he would use this literary device called repetition. Repetition. So that whenever they wanted to really get our attention to something, all they would do is they repeat, would repeat it over and over and over again to the point where we go, okay, I get it. You know, I get it. This is what you're wanting me to see. And this is what happens with this line, just as the Lord had commanded him right here in Exodus chapter 40. Let me show you this. Let me show you this. It's like, it's, it's kind of going to just like beat you over the head with like obeying God. Okay. This is what it is. Look at this. Exodus 40 verse 19. Then he spread the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering of the tent on top of it, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Two verses later in verse 21, he brought the ark into the tabernacle, put up the curtain for the screen and screened off the ark of the testimony, just as the Lord had commanded him. It's like, it, we got a lot more. Okay. We got a lot more. Verse 23, two verses later, he arranged the bread on it before the Lord, just as the Lord had commanded him. Verse 25, and set up the lamps before the Lord, just as the Lord had commanded him. Verse 27, and burned fragrant incense on it, just as the Lord had commanded him. I'm telling you, you're like, okay, I get it. We got two more. Okay, here we go. Verse 29, he, he placed the altar of burnt offering at the entrance of the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, and offered the burnt offering and the grain offering on it, just as the Lord had commanded him. Verse 32, they washed whenever they came to the tent of meeting and approached the altar, just as the Lord had commanded him. Yeah, you get it. You get it. You get the point. 
The point is, very simply, God gives instructions and Moses and the people do just as the Lord had commanded them to do. Priority number one, obedience. Obedience. It's like, man, when I think about the end of my life, I was thinking about this when I was studying this this week to bring it to you. It's like when I think about the end of life, I would love the end of my life, I would love it on my tombstone to read, Here lies Corbin. He did just as the Lord commanded him. Like, what a what a legacy. A legacy of obedience. And if you scan the whole of the book of Exodus, you will see this reality play out. When the people hear God, trust God, and obey God in real life, they flourish. But when they hear God, they distrust God, and they disobey God, they wither as human beings. So let me ask you a question. Let's bring this into life. How are you doing at obeying God? How's it going for you? Yeah, some of you are like, good. Others of you are like, I have no idea. I don't know. Hard question. How are you doing at obeying God? Not just hearing things, but actually doing the things that God has asked you to do. How's that going for you? How's it going for you? Now, this is challenging for us because if you're a follower of Jesus, the temptation for us when it comes to the word of God, whether it's somebody like preaching the word of God like I'm doing right now or a podcast that you're listening to, or maybe like your, your, your time with God where you're reading your Bible on your, own, on your own, the temptation for us is to resonate with the word of God, but not actually obey the word of God. This is the temptation. The temptation for us is resonance, but not obedience, Resonance, but not obedience. But can I just say this? I've said this before. I think I said it in our Exodus series. Can I just say this? Resonance is not the same as obedience. Here's what I mean by this. Here's what resonance looks like, okay? I just want to kind of tease this out as an experience. Like, let's say you come here on Sunday, and, uh, you know, we, we, we have the band. They're up here. They're doing their little their songs. It's great. It's like, man, good worship. Yeah, that's great. I'm kind of getting my heart tuned up, and then I get up here, and you hear something during the teaching time that resonates with you and it gives you like a, a warm little fuzzy in your heart and you think to yourself, you wouldn't say this out loud because we're a kind of church, you know, I wish you would say it out loud, but you just say it to yourself, ooh, that's good. Ooh, if you feel that way, say it, that'd be awesome. I know you're resonating with me. Ooh, that's good. And it maybe gives you like a, I don't know if you're like a feely person, but if you're a feely person, it like gives you a, a warm fuzzy. You're like, ooh, that's good. That's good. And it sits in there and you're just like kind of meditating on it and you, and then you walk out and you just kind of forget it. Maybe you're uh, listening to a podcast, favorite Bible teacher, you know, we got, we're over podcasting. It's like you're driving, you're driving in your car and you're like, oh, that's good. That's good. Mm. Gives you a little warm fuzzy in your car and you just kind of move on with your day. You're reading your Bible in the morning. We're building a habit of daily Bible reading. Everybody in our church reading their Bibles every day. We love that. That's what we've been talking about all year. And you, you find something in the morning. This morning, we were in Psalm 15. Ooh, that's good. And then you just kind of move on. Guys, can I just say that thought, or maybe you express this, that's just resonance. That experience is resonance. Here's the problem with that. God is not looking for resonance. He's looking for obedience. And there is a big difference between the two. Massive difference between the two. Like, guys, listen to me. Like, one of the biggest themes in the whole of the Bible is not just hearing God's word, but actually doing God's word. 
not just coming to church so that you feel better about yourself and you go, okay, like I did church. God's kind of happy with me because I like went out of my way and I didn't ski today. Actually went to church or I'm not at brunch, you know, over at snooze drinking my mimosa. I went to church. I feel better about myself. Guys, God's not just like looking for residence. He's looking for obedience in his people. Where like the things we talk about in here where the things on the pages of the scripture actually change the way we live in real life. Like they actually change the way you enter into your workplace. They actually change the way you enter into your roommate situation. They actually change the way you enter into your friendships, into your marriage, into your parenting, whatever. And can I just say this? This stuff right here, obedience, where we're talking about obedience. This is where like, this is where Christianity and following Jesus changes from just kind of like religious preferences that we carry to life-altering reality. And God wants nothing less for you than for this stuff in the word of God to radically change your life for the better so that you flourish. One of the biggest themes in scripture is not just hearing God's word, but obeying it. Not just resonating, but obeying So I'll give you some examples of this. I, wanna, I just want to harp on this. Uh, some examples from, of this, from the scriptures. There's, there's a scene uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 15, man, when I was, when I was studying this, this scene just like came to my mind. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is it. Where God has come to King Saul and he's, and he's told him, he's given him a command to wage war in a very particular way. He says, hey, here's how I want you to go about your business and take this land and do this stuff. He's given him instructions and Saul received it. He hears him, but what, he, what does he do? He actually distrusts God, and then he disobeys God. And right after this scene in 1 Samuel chapter 15, he's, he's feeling guilty about it. So he goes, oh, you know what I think that I'll do? I'll kind of like, I'll do some religious stuff to make, maybe like appease God. Where it's like, you know, it's like, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of, like, I'll offer some sacrifices to maybe like get in God's good graces. And what he's really trying to do, if you read the story, is he's trying to manipulate God. Not a good idea. Not a good idea. And God comes to, comes to King Saul right after the scene through, through Samuel. And he says this line. This is the verse that kind of like popped in my mind. He goes, does the Lord take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? Holy smokes. Look. I love that word. Pay attention. You need to know something about God, Saul. So he's saying, that's powerful. He talked to a king like that. Look, to obey is better than to sacrifice. Let me put that in modern 2022 language for you. More than God is looking for religious activity in your life, he's looking for obedience in your life. Obedience. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter seven. He talks all about it and he gives us this illustration. It's a really helpful illustration of Two houses where he's talking about obedience. He's talking about hearing and acting on the things in the word of God, the Bible. This is where this stuff really changes the way we live. This is really practical stuff. He says this, Matthew 27, 24 through 27. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, like we're doing right now. So we're doing this right now. Okay. Everyone who hears these words of mine and here's the key word, acts on them. Acts will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house, yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. It's like life's still going to be hard. Life's still going to be hard. 
Obeying Jesus, we're not talking about easy stuff. The world's still a hard place to live. You're still gonna have rain falling sometimes and rivers rising, yet your house, because you hear and obey, it's strong. But then he gives us an alternative. But, 26, everyone who hears these words of mine and, keyword doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. Which one do you want to be? You you have a choice. Life's hard. Life in this world is hard either way. Notice that like the conditions are not different. The conditions are the same. The thing that is different is obedience. To do what God has said. What do you want? I don't want at the end of my life. I don't want a decade from now. I don't want people looking at my life going, wow. He had a good run. Remember when he was up there teaching the Bible? It collapsed to the great crash. You want that about your life? I don't. I want to hear and obey. James, the brother of Jesus, talks about this. James 2.14, he asks a rhetorical question. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith save him? Answer, no. No. Guys, resonance is not the same as obedience. I want to just step away and preach as a leader for a second. Go, man, God's doing great things in our church. I love it. I love that like more of you are here. It's so cool. I'm so glad you're here and like part of what Jesus is building here. But I, can I just say that I'm determined as one of the pastors of this church that we will be a church full of people as we move into the future who do not just resonate with the word of God and go, ooh, that's good, but that obey it in real life so that everything changes. And as we do that, guys, I'm believing that the kingdom of God will move forward in power in your life, in our church, in our city. Obedience, guys, obedience, obedience. Priority number one is obedience. So here's the question. I wanna, I wanna hit this quickly. Here's a question. It's really practical. Okay, like, great, obedience. How do I know what God's asking me to do? You guys feel that? You're like, life's complicated. Uh, you know, I, I don't think he, I've never, I've never seen him rearrange my Cheerios, my breakfast cereal in the morning to say, take the job, you know? It's like, how do I know what God is asking me to do in real life? Well, the good, here's the good news. God is not tricky. He's not tricky. He's not deceptive. A lot of people think God is deceptive. He's not deceptive. He's not tricky. He's, his desire is to be very clear with you. The theology term, we, we, well, I'll say this. And he's, he's been clear with you through the word of God, the Bible. A theology term for the, this is the perspicuity of scripture. That scripture is plain. That if you apply yourself to it, you, it's clear. You can understand it. You don't need somebody to interpret it for you. He desires to be clear with you through his word. And so I want to give you a little paradigm. I'm going to give you a couple of paradigms today. I love paradigms. Can never have too many charts or paradigms, in my opinion. A little paradigm for how you can hear God, trust him, and obey him in your life. We call this the cycle of renewal. We'll put this up here. I've taught this a number of times in the life of our church. I, I, just, I just always want to keep this in front of you for how God leads you and how God changes you. Here it is. It all starts with here. 
You got to be you got to become someone who loves to hear God through his word, the Bible. That's why part of what we do here, a large portion of what we do here is we open up our our Bibles. We walk through passages together and we just say, hey, what is this saying and what does it look like to obey in real life? That's what I'm doing every week. We also are building a habit of daily Bible reading primarily not so that we can do like a religious habit, but so that we can hear God and learn to trust him and obey him in real life. Hearing moves down to trust. You have to know, this is very important, you have to know that God's intentions toward you are good. That he's trustworthy. That if you will hear him and obey him, you can trust that your life, will, you, will, you will be like the house that stands though the rain falls. You can trust him. Trust moves into obedience, beginning to do what he says. And then when you begin to do what he says, it's going to change your life and you're going to speak about it. This is where the gospel goes out of you to other people. You see that the power engine inside of this is the third person of the triune God, the Holy Spirit living inside of you. We're going to talk about him here in just a second. And the context of all of this is church community. You can't do it by yourself. This is why we, this is why we teach here. And then in our community groups, we get together and we go, oh my gosh, Exodus 40, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it because we need a community to do this. Guys, this is it. This is it. This is how it happens. It's very simple. It's not hard to understand. So let me ask you a question. Is there anything God has been asking you to do that you need to just do? Is there anything? Is there anything that God's been asking you to do that you just need to go, okay, time to stop making excuses. I'm just going to do X. I'm going to break up with the guy. I'm going to cut off this relationship. I'm going to Step into generosity. I'm going to get accountability for my pornography addiction. I don't know. I'm going to put my faith in Christ for the first time. Is there anything? I don't know what it is for you. I'm just kind of dropping things out there. I don't know what it is for you. Is there anything that God's been asking you to do that you need to stop making excuses on and just do? You know, what's fascinating about obedience What's fascinating about obedience is for a lot of people, you know, it's like life can get hard. Life's hard for everybody. It's hard. The rain falls on everybody. The winds blow on everybody. Life's hard. But in many ways, what what will happen is we can find ourselves blaming God for the hardship of life when sometimes God wants to take the hardship away and the way he's going to do it is through obedience. You're like, man, I can't believe God would let me experience this. I can't believe God would do this. And sometimes, like, sometimes the situations are a lot more complex, and it, you, you know, that's a hard theology question. Sometimes the way out of your suffering and withering is to begin to obey. To stop, okay, this is my conviction. A good preacher comforts the afflicted and afflicts the comfortable, okay? So this is me afflicting the comfortable. Sometimes we need to stop blaming God and obey him, and life will begin to be a little bit better. Sometimes. That's more of a proverb than a principle, but obedience, guys. Priority number one. Obedience. I got to move on. Priority number two is presence. Presence. Obedience. Presence. Throughout our time in Exodus, we've seen that God is not, we've used this line, God is not just a king to be obeyed, but he is a friend to be enjoyed. Love this. Love this. He's, a friend. he's not just a king to be obeyed, but he's a friend to be obeyed. He put In his tabernacle, he put a footstool, which represents his kingship, and he put a table, which there's a lot going on at the table, but one of the things that's going on with the table in the tabernacle is friendship. He wants to commune with his people. 
And, he, he, and here's the thing. God's whole goal in drawing us out of bondage and teaching us how to live is so that he can be with us. The primary place, like I said, that we've seen this is through the building of the tabernacle, this portable tent that God will, where God will dwell. And we've been talking about how the tabernacle is the restoration of the Garden of Eden from Genesis 1 and 2. It's a perfect replica of Garden of Eden realities in the world, that God is reinstating his intentions for the world, start, starting with this portable Garden of Eden. And the primary thing that defined the Garden of Eden was the presence of God. God was there. This is what defined Eden. This is what defines the tabernacle. So as Moses obeys God and puts the finishing touches on the tabernacle, we see God himself, a theophany, a physical manifestation of God in the world. God himself come down. Look at this in verses 34 and 35. It says this. The cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Verse 35, Moses was unable to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud rested on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. This moment right here is like, it's the pinnacle of the book of Exodus. This is what the book of Exodus has been all about. This is what it was all for right here. If you know the story of Exodus, the plagues, the Red Sea, the manna, the water from the rock, the quail, the Ten Commandments, the sacrifices, all of it is for this right here so that God can be present with his people. This is, his, this is like his main goal in everything is to be present with his people. And can I just say this? This is what he wants for you. He wants to be present with you. More than he wants something from you and like religious duty, he wants something for you. And that is simply to be with you. So said, he just wants to be with you. It's like you think about it and the, the presence of God with his people is the core reality that we, that we get a lot of the metaphors for how we think about God in the scriptures from. So I just think about this. This is really, this is really, this is really beautiful stuff. It's like you think about Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. Wow. What does a shepherd do for, for a sheep? They know, lead, feed, and protect their sheep. Wow. God wants to know me. He wants to know what's going on in my life. He wants to, he wants to know what's going on in my interior reality. He wants to lead me in life. He wants to show me where to go in my future. He wants to feed me and provide for me. He wants to protect me from what could harm me. He's my shepherd. Well, here's the thing. God can only be your shepherd if he's actually with you and you're with him. Presence. You think about God as father. Jesus teaches us to pray. Father. When Jesus teaches on anxiety over in the gospels, he, he talks about how God is a father who provides for us and who protects us. Very similar to shepherd. God can only be our father if he's present with us and we are present with him. You think about the metaphor of a rock. God is rock. He's the, the one who is stable in all of our instability when it feels like life is falling apart. He can only be your rock if he's present with you and you are present with him. So the question we have to ask really practically is, okay, what does it look like to prioritize the presence of God in real life? This feels like it's very subjective, spiritual, like what? I get obedience, but what about presence? Well, I think we get a really beautiful example of what it looks like to walk with God in real life. The New Testament language for this is walking by the Spirit. 
to walk with God in real life as the book comes to a close in verses 36 to the end. Look at, look at how the people just like kind of give their attention to the presence of God. And I, granted, I'm walking into kind of like spiritual reality here that feels very hard to wrap your mind around, but guys, we have a supernatural faith. This stuff isn't all just like obedience. I'm gonna give you a paradigm, another paradigm here in just a second for how to think about this. So for paradigm people, calm down, I'll get there. 36, the Israelites set out an example of what it looks like to walk with God. The Israelites set out whenever the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle throughout all the stages of their journey. If the cloud was not taken up, they did not set out until the day it was taken up for the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and there was a fire inside the cloud by night. I love this word. If, you're, if you have your own Bible, circle and underline this word, visible. This is a physical manifestation of the presence of God right here. Visible, here's what that means. And it lit up at night, I love that, so that they could keep their eyes on it. Visible to the entire house of Israel throughout all the stages of their journey, amazing. So you just think about These people were just like watching God and going, God, where you go, I'm gonna go. Where you stop, I'm gonna stop. If you want me to take a left, I'll take a left. If you want me to take a right, I'm gonna take a right. I'm in. I wanna walk with God. Now, here's what you need to know. If your faith is in Jesus, you have something better. This is wild. You have something better than a, cloud, a pillar of cloud outside of you telling you where you should go. If your faith is in Jesus, the, the good news of Jesus tells us that we've been cleansed of our sin. You've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And the cleansing is not just about like guilt and a cleansing of conscience. It's to make you a, a fit dwelling place for the Holy Spirit of God, this Holy Spirit that was outside of you, to be inside of you, to lead you in life better. So it's like you think about this on a really practical, on a really practical note. You're like, as you, as you go about life, you're like, how do I know? Let's just say you're in a job transition. You're like, how do I know what job God wants me to take? You're like, you know what I wish I had? A pillar of cloud that would go hover over the skyscraper of the company that God wants me to work for. You know, it's like, should I do, K- you're, you're an accountant. We've got a, a number of accountants in our church. Should I do KPMG or Ernst & Young or PricewaterhouseCooper? Holy Spirit, could you just get the cloud over there to kind of hover over? Okay, KPMG, that's where I'm going to go. And you walk in the lobby and you say, this is my job. You know, or whatever, however, whatever hospital you want to work at, whatever. But do you know the Holy Spirit, that leader lives inside of you and you have access to go, Holy Spirit, I want you to show me. How does this work? I don't know. Full transparency, I don't know. But you can ask him. You can ask him and he'll lead you. Now, presence. Now, these first two priorities have to remain together. They have to remain together. Obedience and presence must remain together. So I've got another paradigm for you. Um, can never have enough paradigms. Here it is. A, a, little Venn, a little Venn diagram for how to think about these first two priorities and then we'll land the plane by talking about Jesus. You see over here, if you have only obedience, what do you get? You get dead religion. If you have obedience without presence, it's dead religion. It's just like, man, it's exhausting. It's burdensome. This is where Pharisees are bred. This is where over here on the left side, obedience only people. This is where like the mean crotchety religious people are that condemn everybody for everything. Obedience only. And it's like, would you guys just take a deep breath? You need to take yourself a little less seriously. This is obedience only people, right? But over here on the right, You take all this out, you have presence-only people. 
These people go, man, God's not a king to be obeyed. He's just a friend to be enjoyed. And if he's just a, here's what this is. That's empty spirituality. That's empty spirituality. Here's what happens over here. Over here, you get legalism. Over here, you get license. So over here, you start thinking God is just a friend to be enjoyed. I just enjoy him. So like, you know, in his word, if it says anything challenging or it says anything I don't like, or, you know, if it conflicts with my desires that I feel like I have, I'll just throw it out because he's not a king to be obeyed. He's just a friend to be enjoyed. Guys, that's empty spirituality. I think in the, by the way, in the Bible about self, the temptation is over here. We'll just go geographic. Right here in our city, the temptation's over here. Your core temptation living in downtown Denver will be to throw out obedience and just go presence only. This is just spirituality. But where we have to live is right here. Where you bring obedience and presence together because it's right here where life-changing discipleship happens. Where God is a friend to be obeyed, but he's also, he's, he is a friend to be enjoyed, but he's also a king to be obeyed. And when we hold these two things in tension and we live in, the, and we live in this tension, we get this reality of life-changing discipleship to Jesus, and he wants nothing less for your life. Obedience, presence, priority number three, Jesus. Welcome to church. Let's talk about Jesus, slaying the plane with Jesus. The final theme that we've talked about over and over again is the theme of failure. Failure, man. God delivers his people, uh, and after he delivers his people, he's like, signs and wonders, they walk through the Red Sea, and they get to the other side, and they completely fall apart, man. Failure. It's like they experience the power of God and they get to the other side and they go, hey, I'm hungry. What the heck? You know, it's like, well, you just walked through the Red Sea. You're going to complain. You don't think God can provide for you. They complain about being hungry. They complain about being thirsty. They almost through the rest of the story of Exodus, they almost systematically disobey every single one of the Ten Commandments. Like I said, they literally build a cow idol. And say, we talked about this, Exodus 32, we preached this a few weeks ago. They literally build a cow idol and go, this is your God, bow down. You're like, this isn't good. This is not good. This is literally what God told you not to do like 10 chapters ago. Failure. Failure. And in a way, when we see their failure, it's like, thank God it's there. Because it teaches us this core reality about the God of the Bible, and that is his grace and patience toward failures. It's like, man, you, you hear the whole first two parts of the sermon, the first two-thirds of the sermon, you're like, obedience, okay, I got it. And you're like, right, you got obedience. Okay, presence, okay, I got it. And then you have to ask this question, but what about when I don't obey? Because I guarantee you, like, man, there's some of you, and you're like, I walked in here this morning, and my conscience is dominating me. Because of something I did this past week and I just can't get over it. What do, I, what do I do when I don't obey? What do I do when it feels like God's not present with me but a million miles away? Well, the answer is you look to Jesus. You look to Jesus. You look to Jesus. There's a surprise at the end of Exodus. I'm going to show you this real fast. There's a surprise at the end of Exodus. <gasps> we're, supposed to go, we're supposed to read and go, oh, I can't. What? 
But actually, it's supposed to make us weep. You know, it's a sad surprise. The book of Exodus doesn't end with a fairy tale ending. It doesn't. It, it's like life in a lot of ways. It ends in a kind of unresolved tragedy. It's like, what? Why? Look at this. This is verses 34 and 35. We skimmed over it a second ago, and I want to stop, and I want to double-click on it here. Verse 34, the pinnacle of the book of Exodus. The cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. We're supposed to be, okay, this is it. This is it. Verse 35, but watch what happens. Moses was, keyword, unable he was unable to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud rested on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So here's what we're supposed to think when we read verse 35. What do you mean Moses couldn't go in? This was the whole, this was the whole point. Like you just kind of have to imagine here, you, you're just nice little Sunday afternoon, you just read through the whole book of Exodus, which I know many of you are gonna do this afternoon. And you get to the end and you're like, no, 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 no. Like what he was supposed to do was go in there, meet with God. And this was the whole point of the whole thing. And he was going to come out and he was going to like, he was God's mediator and he was going to come out and he was going to tell us where to go. Why couldn't Moses go in? Well, Moses couldn't go in because of his own personal failure and the failure of the people. And because of his sin, he couldn't enter into the holy presence of God. And right here, We see that they can only experience, this is where the book ends, they can only experience God from a distance, but they can't draw close. They can't can't get in there. When the glory came down, full access was denied, and the book ends. Why? Why? Well, it's because, forgive me for my cheesiness, the book ends, but the book doesn't end. You like that? Yeah, thank you, Meredith. <laughs> Why does it end that way? With kind of unresolved failure. Well, it ends that way to point us forward to something greater. It ends that way to point us forward to a greater exodus, a greater salvation, a greater bread in the wilderness, a greater atonement for sin, a greater tabernacle. It ends that way to point us forward in the story of God to the coming son of God, Jesus. Every week we've talked about how Exodus is all about Jesus Christ. He's like, he is the main point. He is the main character. Everything points to him. And when you look back at the story, you see Jesus is the fulfillment of everything. You see that Moses points to Jesus because Jesus is the greater Moses who enters into our world in order to deliver us from its slavery. The Passover lamb points to Jesus. Jesus is the greater Passover lamb whose blood was poured out for our failure and our sins so that when the judgment of God comes, which it's coming, it will pass over us because it's already been poured out on Jesus Christ. The priests point to Jesus. Aaron points to Jesus. Jesus is the greater mediator who stands in as our high priest in the tabernacle of heaven and pleads his case on our behalf when we fail. The Red Sea points to Jesus because Jesus is our way out of Egypt, the deliverer who baptizes us in the Red Sea of his grace. The Ten Commandments point to Jesus. Jesus is the greater lawgiver who stands on another mountain to re-give the law of God. The manna points to Jesus. Jesus is the greater manna from heaven. He says, I am the bread of life who sustains us in our wilderness journey. The lampstand, you're like, I get it, man. The lampstand points to Jesus. 
Jesus is the greater lampstand who's the light of the world, the source of our life and our light and the presence of God with his people points to Jesus. We're entering into the Advent season and Jesus is what? Emmanuel, which means God with us. And here's the point. When you study the book of Exodus and you see all of this, that all of this points to Jesus, the point is if you want your own Exodus, Jesus is the way. If you want your own Exodus, From withering to flourishing, Jesus is the way. If you want your own exodus from suffering under bondage to sin into freedom, Jesus is the way. If you want your own exodus from death in the grave to resurrection life forever, Jesus is the way. The consistent theme of the ministry of Jesus, we've talked about this a lot, is that he's reversing all things sad into good and joy. And he's inviting us into the greater Exodus. This is what it's all about. The story of Exodus is a story about what God wants to do for you through Jesus Christ. It's this story that once we were in bondage to sin, enslaved to it and being beaten up. This is what it feels like to live life apart from Jesus. You're being beat up by the tyrannical rule of sin. But through the death and resurrection of Jesus, our Passover lamb, God has delivered us from the Egypt of our sin. And now he's with us, the third person of the triune God, the Holy Spirit of God inside of us, leading us through our own wilderness journey called life. With all of its failure and all of its difficulties and all of its tragedies. But in the middle of it all, God will not leave us. He will be with us. And the day is coming when Jesus will bring about the promise, the future promised land where he's going to return and he's going to make all things new. And life, death will give way to life. We will live forever in a renewed heaven and a renewed earth. So we land the plane here, obedience, presence in Jesus. We're closing out Exodus. This is the good news of Christianity, that Jesus is the God who is in the flesh, present with his people. He's come to obey the law of God where we've disobeyed. He goes to a cross to die the death we deserve for our disobedience so that we could be cleansed and welcomed back into life with God. And from there, we learn to obey him so that we can flourish and not wither. So I'm gonna end where we began. When you think about the trajectory of your life, what do you want? You wanna flourish or do you wanna wither? The choice is yours choice is yours. Some of us may need to come to faith in Jesus. I don't know where you're at on the religious spectrum. If you want to come to faith in Jesus, one of our prayer ministry people would love to talk with you and pray with you. I'll be right down here if you want to chat. We're trying something right now where we're only taking communion once a month, and so we're not doing communion today. We're just going to sit and respond to God's word. We're going to sing. We're going to pray. We're going to allow the Holy Spirit of God to take his word and work on us. And so I want to pray for you, and then we're just going to respond. We're going to sing. If you need somebody to pray for you, we've got the prayer team. They would love to pray for you. So let me pray for us, and then we'll respond. God, thank you for the clarity of your word. I just want to pray over our people. God, we want to be people who don't just resonate but obey. And so I want to pray, if there's anything you're asking us to do, that we would take bold steps of obedience. We want to be people who worship in spirit and in truth. So it's not only truth and obeying the truth. It's also worship in spirit. So Holy Spirit, we want to worship you in these moments. We invite you to come and have your way among your people. 
Jesus, we want to lift you high. We love you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's respond as the Lord leads us.